Thanks for choosing to listen to another City Point West podcast. I trust that this message empowers and encourages you to continue your journey of faith. Enjoy. Uh, it's so, so exciting to be here uh, with you. I love the theme of our church this year. Just a couple of simple words just called up and out. Uh, but in that simplicity, there is such a great depth of this year is uh, would our first look always be upwards and see the splendor and the magnificence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And after looking up, we can't but look at humanity around about us. And who knows, the world in which we're living right now needs Jesus. Is humanity have lost their minds. And uh, we, we need to look up and see the bigness and the greatness of God and to be carriers of His power and the presence into the world around about us to bring transformation and to bring change. Uh, and so in this title, uh, in this theme we're in, I want to preach a message called this, is looking up in a look-down generation, is uh, all of us today, or most of us, will carry a device around their hand like this that literally causes you and I to disengage with humanity around about us, is that my generation, the younger generation, we are called the look-down generation in that so much of our time now is looking down rather than engaging humanity eye to eye. I think one of the first things my parents taught me when I, uh, to, to, when I engaged someone older than me was to look them in the eye. And I find that we have a generation today that tends to look down. And in looking down, we become self-centered, self-absorbed, rather than engaging with humanity around about us. Is that I don't know, maybe your screen pops up at the end of the week, like my screen, to give me an average usage during the week of the amount of time that I have been on the screen. And last week, my average usage was two hours and 57 minutes a day. I started arguing with the screen. There, there is no way that I could have looked at this screen for two hours and 57 minutes, not just one day, but every day over the past seven days. Is uh, I am part of this look-down generation. Imagine if I spent some of that time or the majority of that time with the ones that are on my screen. And most of us have a screenshot of someone or our family members that are important to us. Imagine me spending that time with my kids. Imagine me even spending just moments of that time in the presence of God. And one thing I found about this look-down generation is that we know the destination, but we actually miss the journey. And to give you a story, does anyone remember teaching their kids how to drive? I know for many, it's a harrowing experience. There are literally times where my life flashed before my eyes. And as I sort of gave some instructions to my kids, they would simply say words like this, Dad, just chill out. I'm like, I'll give you something to chill out about. (laughs) And so I found that my kids picked up the technical aspects of driving relatively easily, relatively quickly. They could learn to drive the car. But one thing they could not do, Or the greatest challenge they had was navigating like from home where they've lived for nine years to get to the school where they've been going for 11 years. Is they could drive, but they literally could not find their way to the places that they were so familiar with. Is why? Because every day as I drove them to school from home at Wynnum West to Karen every day, 11 years, the same journey, the same route is that they tended to be on devices and looking down and uh, could not even get their direction. So I, I, literally like I had to lay breadcrumbs on the road just to navigate them back home. 
but I find that with our lives as well, we can know the destination. I can know my great destination is eternity with God. I know my destination and my answer is found in God, but you and I, we can miss the journey in that. And I don't want to be a believer that knows the end destination but misses out on the journey in between. Because the journey's the fun part. The journey's the challenging part. It's the life's transforming part of it. It's the it's part where we enter, engage with humanity and see lives change. There's, you and I, I just don't want to know the destination. I want to be a part of the journey that we are involved in. I think one of the great things that God has gifted to you and I is the ability to be able to see, is vision. And vision is simply this. It's a faculty of being able to see or alternatively, it's the act or power of anticipating that which may or may not take place somewhere in the future. And as I look at Jesus and the miracles that Jesus did as he walked the earth for some three years, is that throughout the New Testament, there are 25 recorded physical miracles that Jesus does. And as you break down those physical miracles, is that Jesus opened more blind eyes than any other miracle that he did. He opened six sets of blind eyes on four different occasions is that when Messiah came and stepped foot on the planet, is that he came to open blind eyes. And he opened blind eyes both naturally and also spiritually. It was the work of the Messiah, if we go back into the Old Testament, is that there were physical miracles that took place. Is that there were barren wombs that were made fruitful. There were dead, dead people came back to life. There was miracles of leprosy on people's skin disappearing. But I find throughout the Old Testament, there is not one recorded a miracle where blind eyes are actually opened. Because in Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 42, it says, when Messiah comes, he will come and he will open blind eyes. Is that the Hebrew people knew as soon as Jesus started opening blind eyes naturally and spiritually, they knew that he was the Messiah. And this morning, I am praying that you and I would uh, stop looking down and we'd look up and see the bigness and the greatness of God, that we would look just beyond uh, a natural level into a supernatural level that God has ordained for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 18 says these words, While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Let me read it again. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. There, there, there are two lenses in which you and I can view our lives through. There is a temporal lens and there is an eternal lens. Is that God has set eternity inside of our hearts. Is that we can see our life through simply just being a physical being, or being a spiritual being, is we can, have, we can look at life through the lens of just being something being natural, or something being supernatural, but I, I have found that you and I are more than just temporal beings, is that we are eternal beings, we're not just physical beings, we are spiritual beings, is we're just not natural beings, no, we are supernatural beings, but how often are you and I more concerned with the temporal, with the physical, with the natural, rather than having our eyes set on the eternal and the spiritual and the supernatural aspects of life. And this verse is saying to us is that the seen things in our life, they have an expiration date. 
But what the world throws us day in and day out is seen things. As we see seen things in our relationships and in our finances and our health, we get the medical reports, we you get the bill in the mail, and the seen things in our lives shout, it's impossible. You're not going to get through this. It has a tendency to be overwhelming. But this morning, I have, as I've prayed and prepared this message, is I'm praying that you're not, you're not God will just not open your natural eyes. He's going to open your spiritual eyes. Is that you're not just going to be so concerned with the seen things, but you're going to look beyond the seen realm into the unseen realm. I have found that all of our journeys in the kingdom of God are the similar journeys as we grow in this vibrant relationship with Jesus. Is the, the kingdom of God initially always begins in the invisible realm. And as we journey with God, it becomes visible. Wow. As you and I walk by faith, is those things which were once invisible now start to become visible as we do the journey of faith. Uh, everything in the kingdom of God begins with a seed in the invisible realm and ends up being a harvest. <laughs> And that Jesus comes and he represents the invisible father. He, he says words like, if you've seen me, you've seen my father. And he takes the invisible principles of the kingdom of God and makes them visible. God, would you open our eyes to see? 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 14. The background to this passage is, uh, is that the, the Israelite army is coming up against the Syrian army. The Syrian army is a mighty army. They are... Over, they have more numbers and more weapons than the Israelite army. And so the Israelites find themselves in a difficult situation. And we pick up the story, 2 Kings 6, verse 14. It says, Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servants said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? It's an overwhelming situation. As Elisha and the servant wake up early that morning and they look out into the scene realm and they see a vast army in front of them. They see horses and they see chariots. Is it for you and I this year, as we navigate this year, we are going to see things that seem impossible that will overwhelm our hearts. But the story goes on, so he answered, do not fear. That's a good word this morning, Deb. Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Come on, would you and I see a different view today? And Elisha's seeing into a different realm. He's saying, you know what? There is more for us than those that are against us. It says, and Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray Open his eyes that he may see. God, would you open our eyes that we may see that when there is opposition against us is that God's armies are far greater than any opposition that comes your way. Is that you have a God who is for you, who is with you, who is inside of you this year. Could you and I look into the other realm, the spiritual realm, open our eyes that we would see and then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Would you and I look and see what God has for us? And his eyes are open. The servant's eyes are open. He sees horses and he sees chariots, but he also sees the fire of God that is on their side. God, would you open our eyes to see? 
It says, then he prays again, and the whole Syrian army is struck with blindness. If you don't take anything else away from this message, I want you to take away this thought. Is the circumstance did not change. The object of the vision changed. As his eyes were opened, there was still a great Syrian army going to come against them. But the object of the vision changed. He now saw what God saw. (laughs) And he saw the armies of the living God that were on his side. And it's not that God can't change our circumstances. He is a miracle-working God, and I've seen him change circumstance after circumstance after circumstance. See that the winds of life may blow against you. And Jesus was in the bow of the boat that day when the wind and the waves, they were roaring. And he stood up and he simply declared just a few words, peace be still. He can change external circumstances. (laughs) But the greatest miracle here is that we can fix our eyes on Jesus that he becomes the object of our vision in spite of the circumstance that you and I are going through. Would you and I fix our eyes on Jesus? No matter what you're going through, would you and I look up and see the bigness, the splendor of God? Just for time's sake, next 30 seconds, you can look down. I've got seven thoughts about vision. You won't get them. Just come in. I don't know what you do. Go online, something, whatever that is. Number one, in all circumstances, could you and I see God? Vision is seeing what is invisible to everybody else. God, would you give us eyes to see? Number three, we must allow the invisible to become visible. Is it our victory comes through, comes through seeing the unseen realm? Number five, don't be fixed on the seen realm, be fixed on the unseen realm. Number six, the temporary does not swallow up eternity. Eternity will always swallow up the temporary. And number seven, God, would you open my eyes to see because I need a shift in my eyes for the remaining moments of this message. And when I sit around a passage of Scripture found in Isaiah chapter 6, it starts off saying this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face and with two he covered his feet. With two he flew. Wow. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door was shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah saw the Lord. In this passage of Scripture, there are three different directions that Isaiah looks in a time of uncertainty. And right now, is that King Uzziah, he had served for 52 years on the throne of Judah. He was a great king. He was a godly king. As a nation prospered under his rule. The, the nation was now in a place, and individuals in a place of, I wonder what's going to happen next. I wonder if God is still with us and God's favor will be upon us. There were so many questions in this transition time. It was a time of uncertainty. And here in these times of uncertainty, in chaotic times, in times of discouragement, Isaiah looks up and he sees the most splendid of visions, my gosh. This year, when uncertain times come, when 
times of void and times of transition come and the very best times of your life come, would you and I just continue to look up? We would look up and see the splendor of the king and Isaiah in this time, he looked up. See, this year when you and I are down, God is always up. And Isaiah looks up and he sees the splendor of God. He sees a vision. And first off, he sees the Lord sitting on a throne. Come on here, he sits on a throne today. It's a throne of glory to which you and I come and worship it. It's a throne of government which you and I are subject to. It's a throne of grace that he says, would you come boldly? Because you'll find grace and obtain mercy in that place. He looks up and he sees God sitting on a throne. He doesn't just see that. He now sees the train of God's robe fills every available space in the temple. This year, would you make room for God to fill every available space in your life? Would you immerse yourself in Him? As the book of Acts says, that it's in Him that we live and we move and we have our being. It's in Him today. He looks up and now he also sees angels just crying out with great fervency, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Oh my God, would you lie, look up and see all that God has for us? And then he hears a voice in the distance and as this voice starts to speak, it shakes the very doorposts of the house. Supposedly the most secure area in the house, if there's a cyclone, what do they say? Go and stand under the doorpost. It's the most strongest area, but God's voice has the ability to shake the most strongest areas of our lives. He looks up and he sees the splendor of the king. Would you and I look up this year? Isaiah 40 and verse 26, it says, lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? Who brings out the starry host one by ones and calls forth each of them by name? Oh, gosh. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Hebrews 12 and verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Psalm 121, David says, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence comes my help? He says, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. As I hear David answers his own question, I find the older I get, the more questions I answer of my own. <laughs> it's like, and he says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence comes my help? But you know what? I'm not looking to the hills. In this look down generation, my help does not come by looking there. David saying, you know what, my help is not coming over the hill. I'm not trusting my five senses to see what's coming over the horizon of my life. <laughs> That's not the answer. I'm not the answer. I'm just not waiting for some exterior force to come and help me or some natural wisdom to come and help me. I, I'm going to lift my eyes a little bit higher because my help comes from God. Because David said, I refuse to look down. I refuse to look and see on a natural level where my answer is going to come from. Would you and I look up and see the splendor, see that we have the Lord who's on our side? And if I was Isaiah in this moment, I'd be thinking, how good am I? Is that God has just shown me the whole realm of heaven, the throne, the train that fills the temple, angels singing, the voice of God shaking, the, the very foundations here. I'd, if I was Isaiah, I'd be like, 
I'm number one in God's sight in this time of uncertainty. He's shown me this vision. How good am I? But that's not Isaiah's thought at all. <laughs> in verse 5, he says these words. So I said, woe is me. <laughs> woe is me for I am undone because I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the, people, in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king. The Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphim flew to me, having his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. After looking up and see the splendor of God, whenever you and I just get a taste of who he is, it will always then cause you and I to look inward and for us to take an assessment of our lives. And Isaiah, after seeing this amazing vision as he looks up in a time of uncertainty, in a chaotic time, is now seeing the splendor of the king. His eyes now look internally and say, you know what, there's a gap. There's a gap. And something external takes place here. An angel comes with and grabs a grabs an, uh, coal. Thank you, Wendy, for that. Grabs a coal and places it on his lips to bring cleansing. Is You know what, the cleansing of God is never external anymore. It's always internal. <laughs> And Isaiah looks inside and says, woe is me. After I've just seen this, the splendor and the magnificence of God, I, there's some things in my life that have, have got to shift, that have got to change. And I, I think whenever you and I exp- experience the splendor of God, it would cause you and I to look inside to take an honest assessment of where we are currently positioned, to take a spiritual audit of our lives. And as I do that on a regular basis, I always see a gap between my present reality and where God desires me to be. And I think if we all take an honest assessment of our lives, is that we'll all see a gap in our lives. And the gap's not a problem. It's all good to have a gap in your life. You've just got to know who to invite into your gap. To invite Holy Spirit into your gap there to see transformation, to see change come around about your life. is that If you take an honest assessment, there is a gap. There's things that we must work on. There's fears that grab a hold of us. There's habitual patterns of sin in our lives that we've not just tried to overcome for a day or a week, but maybe for years, maybe for decades there. Is that we all have a gap in our lives, but would you invite God into that gap? And Isaiah sees a gap and says, I need... I have unclean lips and I'm dwelling in a land of of unclean lips. God, I need your intervention. There was a heart of desperation. There was a cry out to God saying, I can't stay in my current position. I need to get to where God desires me to be. And Jesus said these words in John chapter 16. He says, nevertheless, I tell you that Jesus will always tell the truth. If you ever open your Bible and say, that's not the truth, it's the truth. You and I are in error because he always tells the truth. There may be some times where I don't understand what it literally says and it's immerse yourself in there, but this is the truth. The world right now shouting, this is not the truth. This is just a crutch for Christians. No, no, that this is the truth. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. 
For if I do not go away, the helper, Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he'll convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. And of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I love this because it gives us a summary shot of some of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He says that the Holy Spirit will come and he'll convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. I love that the word convict is used, not the word condemn. You and I may feel that as though we're condemned, but no, no, God would never ever condemn you and I. The work of the Holy Spirit is simply to convict you and I. Jesus said words like this, as you do not find me, I found you. And some of us think it's our pursuit of him that we find him. No, but it's always his pursuit of us. And the initial work of the Holy Spirit in all of our lives before knowing Jesus as Lord and Savior is that he will always convict the world of sin. And that's through that conviction that brings us into that place of repentance and into that place of relationship with Jesus. Because that's the heart of God. It's through convicting us of sin we'd see there is this separation between God Almighty, our Creator, and where we are currently situated. And when we're convicted of sin, it brings us into that place of laying down our lives, being born again, it says. Then the next work of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of righteousness. And this is what happens now in our lives where we take an honest assessment of where we are. And this is my current position, but this is where God desires me. Now the work of Holy Spirit comes and now convicts us of righteous living. And I know the, the Bible says you and I have already been declared righteous, which is great news. But there's still areas of our life that need to be worked upon. And it's in that place where the Holy Spirit does His work, that He's not convicting you of sin anymore. He's convicted you of a new righteous standard of living. You know what, Mike, there's a higher level of righteousness you can walk in right now. He's not convicting me of that sin anymore. And so often as believers, we, we think that it's work of the Holy Spirit is continuing to convict you and I of sin every time you put the head on the pillow at the end of the night. No, He's convicting you of a righteous living. See, in the New Testament, whenever a believer has surrendered their hearts to God, no longer are you and I called sinners, we are called saints. Almost 60 times the Bible used the word, I, you are now a saint. There, God, would you come and work on that area of my life to, imp, to, to bring me to a new standard of righteous living? And Isaiah looks up and sees the glory of God, looks in and, and says, I, I need change. Holy Spirit, would you come and work in that area of my life? 1 Timothy 4 and verse 12 says, it, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example. God, that we'd be an example to the believers in word and conduct and love and spirit in faith and purity. Until I come again, would you give attention? It's speaking of progress. It's speaking of spiritual maturity. Is you, you and I are not designed to get stuck in our walk with Jesus. Would we be an example? Would give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine? That goes on to do not neglect the gift that is inside of you that was given by prophecy with the laying on of hands. Would you go on? Would you then meditate on these things? Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. When you and I see the splendor and the majesty of God, would it bring change inside of us? 
not through a self-help book or not through 28 days of breaking a habit pattern. And all those things are great. But I found everlasting life change can only take place in the presence of Jesus. Would you give him access to that area of your life? Would you allow him to work? After looking up, he looks in. And when we look inside of our lives, there can but be just one response. Verse 8, it says, And also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And whom will go for us? And then I said, Here am I. Send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. In verse 11. And then I said, Lord, for how long? And he answered, until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitants. He looks up, he sees the splendor of God, looks in and says, God, I need some change. Now he looks out. And God says, Who, whom can I send? And without hesitation, he says, send me. I wonder how long it takes you and I to respond to a question like that. Who, who can I send? There's time I've argued with God over time. So I, there's times being a flat out no, not me. There's times it's just inconvenient right now. Let's press the pause button, come back to me in a couple of weeks. Let's schedule another appointment. And there's times where I said yes. And as he now looks out, is that Isaiah literally gives three things to God. The first thing he gives to God is his attention. Up until this point in the passage here, is that Isaiah has not heard the voice of God for himself. And here at the beginning it says, and I also, I heard the voice of the Lord. <laughs> Would you and I be, be attentive to God's voice this year? Would we just simply, would we put this thing down? Two hours and 57 minutes, Mike. Would you just put the thing down and give some attention to the most important relationship you have? Would you be attentive to his voice? Would you allow God to speak to us? I have this expectation that every time I open up the word of God, I, God desires to speak to me because he's living, breathing word. Every time I open it up, God, would you speak to me? Not to get a message, God, would you speak to me? To bring change upon my life, to inspire me. Would you and I give attention to God's voice? And then it goes on, Wh whom will I send and who will go for us? And he said, here am I. The second thing that Isaiah gives to God, apart from his attention, is his availability. Would you and I give God our availability this year? That when he asks something of us, that this week when you're walking down aisle nine of Coles or Woolies, you never know who's coming up the other part of the aisle. The guy's simply going to say to you, hey, would you just stop for a moment and just give that word, person an encouraging word. Maybe the, that person just needs prayer. Would you and I just say, hey, God, wherever I am, I just want to be available. And there have been times where I've argued with God over availability. And things he's asked of me. God, God, I'm too big for that. I did that when I was 16. Well, God, I'm too small for that. that. That's not significant enough. 
I'm underqualified for that. I'm overqualified for that. Would you and I stop our arguing with God? And if he asks something of us, would you simply just say, here am I, send me. I'm not going through the filter of can I do that, can I not do that. If God asks something of you and I, he's going to be with us in the ask. He's not going to just let you go. And he makes his life available and just says, you know what, I'm ready. I have found the greatest times of my life have been the times where I've simply said just yes. Dave, you would have seen it all through your life. That through availability, there's a God just moves. God cannot move through our unavailability. I do not want to be known as one that will hold a sign that there is no vacancy here. Would you and I give attention to his voice? Would we give our availability to God? And the third thing Isaiah gives to God here is that he is agreeable. There's no argument. I'm going to go do that. And what I love about this whole passage of Scripture is that Isaiah doesn't even know the mission when he says yes. How many times have you and I argued with God, saying, God, would you just give me a little bit more detail on what you're asking of me? And based upon the detail you're going to give me, then I'll make a decision as well I'm going to go or not go for you. Is Isaiah did not give a rip about the mission. He just simply said, God, if you need me, here I am. I'm all in. Would you and I simply give God our attention, our availability, and would we be agreeable with whatever he asks you and I to do? I have found that whenever you and I look up, is that vertical eyes will always lead to missional eyes. It's because God's heart is always for humanity. It was for you, and it's for your next-door neighbor. It's for your street. It's for your workplace. It's for the Greyhound track. It's wherever you are, there he is. This year, would our first look always be the look upward? Where's my help coming from? It's not coming from here. My help comes from the Lord. After looking up, would you and I take an honest assessment and say, hey, God, I I need some things changed in my life. And I've tried self-will. I've tried everything. I now invite you into that spot. Would you increase the standard of righteous living in my life? I'm not a sinner. I'm a saint. I'm a child of God. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. And that's how I want to live. I want to be the light. I want to be the soul of the earth. God, would you come and bring change inside of me? And having eyes like that, it could cannot but cause you and I to look outward. Would you be attentive? Would you be available? Would you be agreeable this year? Why don't we stand to our feet? I know this message will keep speaking to you as you continue your day. So for more information about City Point West, jump on citypointchurch.com or follow our social media accounts, Instagram, City Point West, or our Facebook, City Point Church West. Have a great day.